today, um, we're going to be looking at Jesus's earthly father, who is Joseph. Now, how many of you guys have, have read, this is a trick question, by the way, so don't raise your hand. How many of you guys have read what Joseph has said in the Bible? Anybody? That's right. See some of you shaking your heads. It's zero, because he is not recorded in the Bible with saying anything at all. The human father for Jesus is recorded as saying zero. Not even a gasp or a sneeze is recorded. And yet, he is this giant of faith. And I just think it is such an incredible contrast. And it just speaks to the God that we serve. That this man, this huge giant of the faith, this saint, St. Joseph, doesn't say one word, but his life has got impact after impact. He got to father the son of God. And so today, I kind of want us to look at this and just, I hope, um, you know, when we were, so Carol and Josh were talking about the packing the stuff, and so some of the staff here, we were packing the container, and we were just like, I mean, I, I think we knew it was a big deal, but we, and so we weren't like, oh, good job, good job. We were just trying to get this stuff loaded, because Josh was like, it has to leave, on this date, so it gets on the ship. We're like, okay, okay. So we're just, you know, throwing boxes in there, and um, a couple of the guys crawled in the very back, like on their knees to get boxes so we could get that thing loaded. And um, it's just interesting. Sometimes you, you know, for us, we knew we were doing something neat, and it was, that was needed, but I don't think it resonated, at least not for me, like, the breadth and depth of what we were doing. So I think sometimes God calls on us to just um, take that first step or take a step, and we don't realize what he's asking us to do, which is okay. The important thing is that we just step out and we say, yes, Lord. Amen? All right. So we're going to look at um, this guy, Joseph, who doesn't say a peep. I would, I'm wondering, um, because I'm married to one, if Joseph, part of the reason why we don't have him record is saying anything, is if because he was an introvert. Uh, Josh is an introvert, so when he's not here preaching, um, we actually spent many years um, in marital counseling. <laughs> so, okay, so because Josh is such an introvert, right, and I'm an extrovert, I know that's a surprise, <laughs> but so like when stuff would come up, I'd be like, let's get after it, let's figure it out, let's talk about this, let's charge it, you know, go hard, and, like figure out an answer. And Josh's way, because he's an introvert, is like, I got to retreat, and I got to process and think. So the more he would retreat, the harder I would be like, no, we got to figure this out. What are you doing? No, don't retreat. Let's figure this out. And he would just be retreating even further, and I'd be chasing even harder. So, so I wonder if Joseph maybe was an introvert, and he didn't talk a lot, but he was a man of action. So let's dive into this. God, please um, direct our reading and let us see and absorb the things that you want us to see, Jesus. In your name, amen. All right, so uh, let's go ahead. Most of the stuff about Joseph, now let me just say this too. Uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew 1, and we're going to look at, uh, start with verse 16. And as you're finding it, let me say this. There's other parts throughout the Bible where Joseph is mentioned, 
but it's just super minor. So when we're looking at Matthew, it's not the totality of Joseph's presence in the Bible, but it's the, the one that gives us the fullest snapshot. So that's why we're going to look at it. And also, he's also mentioned, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 1, 22 through uh, chapter 2, verse 52. So for reference for later. But okay, let's go ahead and read. Can we get it up on the screen too, y'all? All right, so uh, we're going to jump into the genealogy. Now, you guys remember for last week, who's also listed in this genealogy? Rahab. Rahab. Who was a? A prostitute, right? A woman of the, a woman of the night. She was an innkeeper. <laughs> um, and I just think this is amazing. I think as people of the Western world, and this is no ding against us, but we're kind of like, you know, I talked about this last week. Who cares your name or what you've come from or who your family is? Like, you get to come here in America and you get to create your own, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, bootstraps and make a name for yourself. But in this culture, the ancient Near Eastern culture, your lineage and your name defined who you were and what life was going to look like for you. And this lineage that we're going to read through is super, it just, it's mind-blowing because God allowed and picked a prostitute to be in the lineage of Jesus. If that doesn't blow your mind, you know what that shows? That shows that God is sovereign and he gets to pick whomever he chooses to serve him and to do his will. And I hope that encourages you guys. It doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. Jesus is like, if I call you, I just want you coming. Just respond. Say yes, yes, yes. Amen? Okay. All right. So let's uh, jump into Matthew. So we're going to pick it up. This is um, the lineage. We're at Rahab. And we're just going to, verse 16. So Matthew 1, 16. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus who is called the Messiah. Okay, just real quick, what's interesting, where it says, who gave birth to Jesus, Mary gave birth to Jesus. That's just kind of cool, because it's like, no, Jesus just didn't get dropped into the manger. He didn't just materialize. Like, he was birthed like everybody else. Jesus had a belly button, like we all do, okay? All right. Um, okay, then in verse 17, we're going to skip over that because it talks about all of the generations. It's a lot of generations. And we're going to skip down to verse 18, the nativity of the Messiah. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, uh, and just real quick, engaged in this culture is, is different than how we do engagement here. Like you were, you were married, and the next step would be you move in together, and then you consummate the marriage, okay? So they are legally married when we're talking about this. So just let that rattle around in your brain a little bit that Joseph's he's his wife is pregnant, okay? And it's also, what comes through the text is apparent that um, Joseph's family knew about this before he heard about it. So just think about big family news or something you've heard about through word of mouth and how that makes you feel, okay? So that's Joseph. And it's his wife. It's his wife who is pregnant. All right. All right. 
Uh, okay. I got so excited I lost my place. Sorry. 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together, had sex, that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because, that, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Um, if you guys are okay with this and you're comfortable, because I know some people are like, I don't draw my Bible. I do. I mean, just I write notes everywhere. Ah. But um, I want you to underline, you are to name him Jesus, okay? Well, Because we'll circle back on that. But that directive is towards um, Joseph, all right? Okay, so continuing on, uh, 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Verse 23, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Okay, verse 24, when Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Um, so, one of the key things is that Joseph, you know, he's a good Jewish guy, right? Comes from a good, solid family. They're not wealthy. They're not poor. He's got a trade. He's um, a tecton. So, um, is rendered in a lot of translations as carpenter, but he probably was skilled, um, he was skilled at building stuff and it didn't matter the medium. Stone, can we bring up the picture too, the, of the landscape? Um, and this is why a lot of scholars think he was multifaceted, Joseph was, he was like a master craftsman. Um, and a lot of times it comes across as carpenter because that's the easiest translation. But a lot of people say, like commentators, where are the trees? Where are you going to get lumber from? <laughs> so he probably did do woodworking, but he probably primarily worked in stone because look what's plentiful here. Can we show some other pictures too? Yeah, so look at that. Just rock everywhere. Rock and stone. There's some palm trees. You know, there were acacia trees, but there weren't like giant redwoods just everywhere. There weren't green forests everywhere. Okay, so now that's important, and we'll circle back on that in a second, that uh, Joseph was a tecton. He worked in, he was a, he was a craftsman, master craftsman that worked in multi, in a multitude of different, different materials. All right, so the first thing we hear of Joseph is actually in this lineage that we just read, all right? So first Matthew verse 16, that's kind of the first time that he pops up, right? Um, now, the last time that we hear about Joseph is when Jesus 
gets lost in the temple, right? And Mary and Joseph are just beside themselves or freaking out. If you're a parent, how many of you guys have ever lost a kid before? Okay, all right, I have. Josh, I'm going to just, well, Josh isn't here. I'm going to throw him under the bus. Josh has. <laughs> we, um, we went to um, Michael's as a family. And so I think Sophia was probably like four, close to five, something like that. And so I was like, I'm going to go over here and look at the yarn. And I'm like, you, so I did the baby handoff. I said, you got Sophia, right? He's like, I got Sophia. Okay. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be in the yarn and we'll reconnect on the, I don't know, the, the markers aisle. Okay, good. So I go, and I'm looking around, and then all of a sudden, like two minutes later, he comes back, he's like, and he had this ashen look on his face. So I'm like, what's the matter? I said, where's Sophia? He's like, well, about that. He's like, I can't find her. So of course, I went into full mommy mode, and I just threw everything down, and I'm like, we need go tell the register people to shut the doors. Let's just do a sweet, like, so we're trying, I'm like, how did you lose her? I left you guys literally like three minutes ago. How did you, he's like, I just turned around and she was gone. I'm like, well, you need to have her like, you need to keep an eye on her the whole time. You can't just be like, all right, you good? All right, I'm gonna walk away. So anyway, so they, they did that. They, they shut the doors. They did a, you know, like a, over a loudspeaker. We have a lost child in the store. Well, Sophie um, was, able to get all the way, like, like the farthest possible corner away on the other side of the store. She's just hanging out by herself, just looking at stuff. And so, you know, when that happens, your heart drops, and you just feel like pooping your pants and vomiting all at the same time, right? It's just such a horrible feeling as a parent, because you're just like, oh. Okay, so imagine that's what Joseph's parents went through. Um, now, before... We say, Joseph was kind of a deadbeat dad. How could you not keep an eye on your kid? Well, Pastor Josh lost his child, number one. <laughs> number two, the, they had gone to the temple in Luke um, for Passover. So it wasn't, just, um, it wasn't just Joseph and Mary and Jesus. It was the whole family. It was the extended family. So there's tons of people that should have been keeping an eye on Jesus but Jesus still escaped and was like, I'm going to do my thing. All right, so that's the last time we hear about Joseph, okay? And that's in Luke 2, 41 through 52, if you want to look it up later. All right, commentators think that Joseph probably died maybe around that time, and we don't know how or why. It's never brought up again, but that's the last time we hear about him. Um, Joseph seems to be missing from important life milestones, like the wedding at Cana. You guys remember that? That's where Jesus does his first miracle and he turns water into wine, right? Well, Mary's there, we know, right? Because she's like, Jesus, we're out of wine. Can you help us out, please? Right? So that's where he does his first miracle, but there's no mention of Joseph at all. So, and then also at the crucifixion, right? There's no mention of Joseph. Um, typically, in the culture with a deceased, you know, a dead body like this, child's dead body, the father would be the one to take it and put it in the tomb and get that whole process. But we know Joseph, so that would be something typically that Joseph should have handled, right? But he didn't, and Joseph of Arimathea stepped in, remember, and said, I have a, I have a, I have a tomb you can use, right? Um, and then also, 
Remember when Jesus, towards the very end, he's, he commends his mother, Mary, to John, right? I think it's John. And says, please take care of my mom. Well, that wouldn't have happened unless she was a widow. So that's why we believe that he died. Joseph died somewhere way back when, all right? Okay, so maybe you're like, Mako, there, he's not recording the Bible as saying anything ever, like not even a sneeze or a gasp. Like, even with the, um, the temple thing and all this interaction between him and the angel, right, guiding him to get Jesus out of the way, like, you know, out of harm's way, he doesn't, he doesn't gasp, he doesn't do anything. It's just kind of weird, right? So why are we, why are we looking at this guy? <laughs> what? Right? Well, as is true of the Bible and how God works, he takes the small things and he makes those the big things to pay attention to, right? So, Joseph is handpicked by God to be the physical, earthly father of Jesus Christ. Just as much care, you know, Joseph wasn't phoning it in, and he wasn't just the weekend dad. Joseph was there for all the big things and the little things. Can we get some of those pictures up of Joseph? I just, I found some stuff on the internet that I thought was kind of pictures, because I think it just, I mean, we don't think about this, right? Like, how Jesus learned, because Jesus was also called a carpenter, a tecton, right? Well, how did he learn his trade? Well, he spent time with his dad, his earthly father. And let me just say this, too. When we say this, like, I'm not taking anything away from God the Father, right? There's no disputing that. But God the Father hand-selected Joseph just as much as God hand-selected Mary to give birth to the Savior of the world. It wasn't like Joseph was like the closest guy around, He's, and God was like, oh, I need, I need a stand-in. You, you'll do. You'll do. You're a good understudy, and plucked him. He was hand-picked. And I just, I love this because it just shows, you can roll through some of the other ones, just like them just doing stuff. I love this picture. Um, I was, when I was doing some research on, on, on fatherhood and the impact of a father, there's something called the father effect. And it talks about how you can spend an amazing amount of time, but if it's not quality, it's just the same as not being present. And we obviously, there's a lot left to the imagination as far as what kind of father Joseph was. But I like to think, and not just I like to think, there's, we're going to get into it in a second. There's, there's absolute proof in here that Jesus had an amazing earthly father. That Joseph had the father effect on Jesus. And we'll get into that in just a second. But I just love this. Like, just the two of them just hanging out, kind of looking out over things. Bless you. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> At least your cell phone didn't go off, right? So, But I just love this picture. They're just hanging out, probably shooting the breeze, looking at stuff, watching palm trees grow. I just, I just love the, the picture that this captures. So, all right. Let's move on. Okay. So, I know... You know, we, we've talked about this, Pastor Josh has spoken about this, but 
And I, um, I had experience with this too because my relationship with my earthly father wasn't the best growing up. My parents were separated and they fought, they threw things at each other, right? And so um, it took me a while to develop. So I had that. That was kind of my initial filter, right? It was like, God's got a temperament. He's going to th throw things around. He's going to get ticked off and he's going to peace out for Christmas. He's not going to be around, right? And so when I became a Christian at 10, that kind of coincided with my dad moving out of the house. And my parents had this contemptuous relationship. And so for me, my filter was, okay, um, my earthly father's got a, you know, got a temper, he's got a good heart, but he just, he just gets set off and then he's out, right? And we may see him for Christmas, we may not see him for Christmas, like he's not super dependable. Okay, he loves us, but he's just not super dependable. He's got his own stuff going on, okay. So I took that perception of my earthly father and I layered that over what I thought God the Father would be like. And it took me a lot of years to just process through that and for God just rewiring my mind and my brain and my heart for me to realize he is a good father. And by the way, my relationship, my dad was awesome. He turned his stuff around and... I mean this in the best sense of the word. He was like a fly on a piece of poop with me. He would not leave me alone because after college, I cut him off. I'm like, I'm done with you. You've hurt me. I'm done. I got into a really bad car accident in college, and I wanted him to come up and visit me. It was just in Santa Barbara, and he didn't. And I was heartbroken. I was just heartbroken, heartbroken. And so I was like, I'm done with you. Bye. And after that, my dad was like, you're my daughter, I love you, and he pursued me. I could not get him to, to leave me alone. He kept calling me and calling me and calling me and calling me and sending me packages in the mail, love packages. I was like, I don't want it. You're dead to me, boy. And he just kept at it, kept at it. And that also helped me get a fuller understanding of who God the Father was. That God the Father also will chase us down. He's a gentleman, Right? But he's also like, you're my kid and I love you and I want this relationship to work. And so he'll hound us lovingly. All right, so. Um, okay, so, so maybe you're like, okay, Mako, maybe these are just nice fancy words that you're putting. Um, you know, you're painting this rosy picture of Joseph being such a good dedicated father. Okay, let's look real quick at Matthew 1.21. Remember, I asked you guys to underline this. Um, she will give birth to a son. Okay, that's Mary. And you, being spoken to Joseph, the angel tells Joseph this, are to name him Jesus. Okay, so maybe you're like, that's great. He's supposed to name the kid. Okay. Um, it's also repeated in Matthew 125. What do we know about Scripture? If it's brought up once, you should probably pay attention to it, right? If it's brought up twice, you absolutely pay attention to it. And so what do we have? In the space of four verses, we have this repeated how many times? Twice, right? So here's the deal. In this culture, um, it was the father's duty to name the son. And you, named the, you gave the name to the son on the eighth day of, it, of, of the son's life when they got circumcised, Okay. That's just how they did it back then. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but 
But in, do, in doing this naming, this just isn't like a, uh, like a superficial ceremony. By the Father naming the Son, that is showing commitment and ownership, not ownership like you're my chattel, but like ownership, like I take full responsibility for this human being. And that's what is going on here. Even though Jesus is not biologically, does not have any part of Joseph in him, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, Jesus does is Joseph's son. And so, by naming him, by Joseph naming Jesus, he is publicly entering into a lifetime covenant of relationship with Jesus. There's no greater proof of his love for Jesus than this. And he's doing it publicly. Um, the naming implies absolute um, assumption of responsibility in relationship. The only thing that can t cut, cut it off and sever it is death. That's it. Okay? All right. So what I love about that snippet is that we see this throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this idea of naming, right? Guess who else calls us by na our name? God. God does. Let's look at um, Isaiah 43.1. And you guys, there are so many verses in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that talk about God knows our name. God's called you by name. He knows your name. He's called you by name. He's written your name down. All right, Isaiah 43.1 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by what? By name. You are mine. That's covenant love right there. And there's so many verses. I mean, there's a multitude of verses about how God knows our name. So maybe next time when you're reading your Bible and it mentions God knows us by name, he calls us by name. Well, just let that just settle on you. Let you just marinate in the truth and the love of that. Amen? All right. Okay, so the next thing that we're going to look at is this whole idea of, of tecton, okay? So, you know, being a master builder, right? <laughs> okay, sorry. Every time I hear master builder, <laughs> how many of you guys have seen the Lego movie? <laughs> master builder? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Not that kind of master builder, but... Um, okay, but so like I said, Joseph was most likely, he was a master builder and, and skilled in a number of different mediums, right? Not just wood, stone, right, metal, right? And the cool thing is he passes this on to his son, Jesus, okay? And, okay, think about this. Just stay with me. Stay with me because this is, okay. So in the Old Testament, right, David gets a dream for the temple, right? Okay, so he gets the dream, right? Much like Joseph is being given a dream, dreams, right, about what to do. And then who's the one that builds it? 
His son, his son does. Solomon's the one that actually executes it. Likewise, we have Joseph, the father, who gets, hears from God through, through dreams, right? God downloads um, into Joseph's mind and speaks to him through dreams. Joseph is responsible not just for feeding and clothing and taking care of scrapes and teaching him probably to hunt for lions and all this other stuff. He's also teaching him the craft of probably, you know, carpentry or stone hewing. Joseph is also the one who gets to shape and form the cornerstone of the new temple, who is Jesus. Okay? That's pretty freaking amazing, I think. Like, that the master builder is such a master builder that he gets to form the cornerstone. That just shows, I think, what God the Father saw in Jacob. He was a person of character, a man of character. All right. Man, there's so much that I wanted to get to, but okay. All right. All right. So now also the other thing too. So Jesus, so we know Joseph's line of work was also adopted by Jesus because Jesus also became a carpenter, right? Okay. But what's important to note too are all the times that Jesus is teaching in his parables and he's talking about, what is he talking about? Building the cornerstone. You got to get the cornerstone right. You got to have a good cornerstone. When you build, you can't build on sandy soil, right? Well, guess how he knows all this? It's because he's been exposed to it by his earthly father, Joseph. Okay? All right. Um, the other thing that I wanted us to look at is just how Jesus, how Joseph, how he treated Mary initially, right? Let's Let's go back and look at the scripture real quick. Uh, let's go to 18, Matthew 1:18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. In verse 20. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, okay, two things I want to point out here. Sometimes um, in, in certain streams of, you know, the, our faith, people think, well, Joseph was such a saint that the news of his wife being pregnant, not by him, he was just like, all right, it's life, it's okay. It's all right, God provides. No, no, no. Joseph, the rendering here just, it sucks, I'm sorry. The, wor the word here that is used is considered. But after he had considered, the group, there's a, a, a Greek word in here, and it's the same word that's used, it should be rendered more fuming. You know, when you think about something and you're processing it and you're just like, ah, ah, and you get that going? 
it, this is the same root that's used when it's talking about Herod, how Herod was considering the claims of the Magi, and he just popped his lid, right? Because he ordered all these infant boys to be killed. This shows that Joseph is human, fully human, obviously, but that he didn't just pray it away or just meditate hard enough and he was okay. He is wounded, he is hurt, and his life has just been blown up. His, his, this, this amazing life that he was going to have, right? He had a great job, great place to live, great family, good reputation, and it's like somebody just dropped a bowling ball in a china shop and exploded everything. Okay? And then on top of it, he's just, he's, he's got strong emotion over this. He's tormented. He's torn up. And he's probably really ticked and he's probably really hurt and he feels super betrayed. Because um, there was a good likelihood that, and, and how the text is rendered, Joseph was the last one to find out that his wife was pregnant. The whole family knew before he knew. So he looks like a fool, and he's probably questioning, oh, my gosh, I, I thought I had Mary so, I thought I knew her. I thought I knew my wife. How did I miss this, right? All this stuff is going on. Okay, and he's like, okay, well, the right thing to do is I'm going to divorce her, and then we'll do it quietly, blah, 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 right? So he's going through all these steps. And what I love, first of all, and this is before the angel appears to him. uh, Verse 19, so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. That's before the angel pops up. What does that say? That says that Joseph is, is a man with even with all of his feelings going on, and he also had the moral and legal high road to divorce her publicly. He actually had the legal right to have her stoned to death. So he was in the right standing across the board. And how does he choose to do this? This is before the visitation. He wants to do it privately so as not to disgrace her. Okay? Now, why is that important? Because let's just take a look at how Jesus interacted with the Samaritan woman. You guys remember that? Samaritan woman who had had how many husbands? Was it five? Five or something? Jesus could have, he had the moral and legal standing to come up to this woman and be like, hey, yo, you're playing around a lot. What are you doing? And disgrace her and shame her publicly. But he doesn't. He asks for a cup of water from this unclean woman. And then they start a conversation. Jesus doesn't shame her. He invites her into a conversation, right? We also see this behavior, the same behavior in um, John 8, right? Um, When the woman who's caught in adultery, right? And she's dragged out of the bed. She's probably naked and, like, in shock and humiliated and disgraced. And she's pulled out, and the the priests and the scribes are like, we caught her. We get to stone her. That's That's what law requires. 
And what does Jesus say? Do you remember this? He has the moral high ground. And this would have been a great chance for him to be like, oh, hey, guys, I'm one of you. Like, I know the law. Let me show you how well I know the law. But what does he do instead? He's like, hey, so you guys that all picked up stones to stone her, if none of you has sin, then you get to go ahead and throw the stone. Well, guess who's left standing? No one. No one. It's just Jesus and this woman. And he also just talks to her kindly, gets down on her level. She's probably like cowering on the ground trying to cover up because she's naked. Jesus acts like this, and there's a bunch more examples that we're not going to get into. Jesus acts like this because that's what his heavenly, that's what his earthly father, Joseph, modeled for him. And I guarantee you that Joseph just didn't turn into a jerk overnight. Like, what we see is what we got. Like, so Jesus grew up seeing how his dad and his mom lived together in marriage and what that relationship looked like and the respect and the honor that Joseph showed to Mary. And even though Jesus did not get married, spoiler, he grew up with that. that was, that's what formed him. That compassion, that grace, that not wanting to make a spectacle. And I just think that that is such a powerful statement. That is just such a powerful statement of the grace. Um, okay, real quick, can I get the band to come up? I have so much more stuff, but I'm going to try and respect time. The one thing I want to leave you guys with is this. What we see over and over again in this account that we read in Matthew, and we didn't get to in some of the other, is that stuff like stuff moves super fast and furious, right? With Joseph and the family. And the the angel of the Lord comes and visits Joseph. It's like, hey, you need to get up from this dream and you need to take the baby and your wife and get the heck out of here. And so this keeps happening. I don't know about you guys, but when I first wake up, like Josh and I, when we were first married, we had to make a rule because we kept getting in fights in the morning. We're not morning people, and I need at least five hours to get going before I'm awake. So, so we made a deal. We said, no talking about any heavy stuff. We'll just say, hi, good morning, love you. Did you get your coffee? That's it. That's the extent of our conversation. And yet... God here is, when Joseph wakes up, he doesn't hesitate, he doesn't tarry, he doesn't, he doesn't think about it. And it's kind of reminiscent of what we, saw, of what we saw last week with Rahab, right? Rahab's not like, let me ponder this. It's action, it's obedience. And it's not because God is an evil overlord. It's because Joseph gets the idea of devotion and obedience. If you love God, you will obey him. And it, it comes from trusting God, knowing that he's a good, good father. Right? That relationship. And knowing that God's got your back. It's that chesed love. That loving kindness that says, I'm your ride or die. In our modern vernacular, right? I got you. 
And that's what enabled Joseph to just get up all these times. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm going. We're going to do this. My hope for all of us is that in these crazy times that we live in, because they are crazy times, I feel like Jesus could come back tomorrow because things are so upside down and crazy. I want us to get from this that God doesn't always bust into our lives and ask us to do things when it's convenient. Most of the time, it's going to completely drop a bowling ball in our life and just explode stuff, (laughs) right? But we get to choose, and not that God's the author of evil, but he allows stuff to happen, right? We get to choose how we respond to that, though, okay? Are we going to, like, and I just think it's such a great picture. We can fume. You know, the Bible says, get mad, but don't sin, right? Don't stew on that. Don't keep that inside. We have a saying in our house, like with Sophia, better out than in. And it actually started when she was little. She fell and she bumped her head really bad. So, of course, first time mom, I was super protective. She got a giant knot on her head. It was like a huge hematoma. And I was like, so I called the doctor, and the doctor's like, well, is it, does she have swelling on the outside of her head? I'm like, yes, it's huge. She goes, well, better out than in. She goes, if it wasn't, it, swelling would have to go somewhere. So it's going to be on the outside or the inside. And so God gives us the space to process, right, and to feel things. But where do we go from there? Where do we go from there? Do we say, yes, Lord, send me? I just think about, you know, and I I know Joe, because I was talking to Joe, and he was like, initially, like, he wanted to go to Ukraine, but he's like, there's no way I'm even going to ask, because I won't get the time off work and all this stuff. But he felt like God was, like, poking him. And I told Joe, Josh and I both, when this thing came up, we were like, Joe needs to go. And Joe just stepped up. He's like, I'm going to go. And God just paved the way. When we step out, God says, I got you. I got your back. It's the ultimate trust fall. So whether we're sticking a red cord out our window or we're just like, we got to get away from some crazy people that are hunting our child, right? When we step out, God meets us there and he equips us for what he calls us to. Okay? All right, let's go ahead and do some worship. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. So you are. So you are. So you are.
So in closing, you guys, um, you know, so Joseph modeled this amazing obedience to God, even though it disrupted his whole life, right? And what I, what I want to leave you guys with is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he gets his friends, right, his disciples, and he's like, let's pray together. I need you guys because t- tomorrow I'm going to go to the cross. So he's facing certain death, right? And in his prayer, he's like, God, if, God, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I do not want to do this. And I bet you money. And what is his response? He's like, but if it's your will, I will do it. He responds in obedience. And I bet you money that he learned that from his earthly father from seeing his earthly father, Joseph, time and time and time and time again, respond to God out of obedience. That was modeled for Jesus. Yes, he was, I don't understand the math, but 100% divine, 100% human. (laughs) But we know in being fully human, he felt stuff. He was going through stuff. But like his his earthly father, Joseph, who went through stuff too, He responded with a yes. And my hope for us this week, God, when you call on us, I pray that our response would just be yes in obedience, God. Yes in relationship. Yes in love. Because we know that you have our backs, God. You're our ride or die. You never take us somewhere and just drop us off and say, good luck with this. You say, I got you. Follow me. So, God, I pray for people that are maybe just, ah, you've asked them to step out and they're reticent, they're scared, whatever. I pray, God, that this week they would have breakthrough. There would be breakthrough, God, and they would say, yes, God, my answer is yes. Yes, yes and amen. Give us boldness in this season, God, to step out and be your hands and feet. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Go with God, you guys. You are great. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are
great week.